When I was about 10 years old, I was introduced to a young reader's book called Bridge to Terabithia, a book that affected me deeply. It's a story about 10-year-old Jess, the middle child and only boy in a family with four sisters. Jess had a very ordinary life, drawing and painting in his free time, but hiding his art from his father, who thought art was for sissies. Trying to become the fastest runner in the fifth grade, staying out of the way of his two bossy older sisters, going to school every weekday and church every Sunday. And then one day, a, girl, a new girl named Leslie Burke moved in next door and disrupted Jess's ordinary life. After a challenging start, when Leslie ran faster than all the boys at school, Jess and Leslie became fast friends. Under Leslie's leadership, they built an imaginary play world called Terabithia, entered by swinging across a creek on a rope. While in Terabithia, they solved the world's problems, like how to get even with a school bully who stole Twinkies from his younger sister. And, Je and, Je and Leslie expanded Jess's world by telling him stories he'd never heard before, from Moby Dick to Hamlet. And then one day, while Jess was away visiting museums with his music teacher, the rope to Terabithia broke and Leslie drowned. Jess struggled to make sense of his friend's death, but eventually found a way to honor Leslie by building a bridge and bringing his little sister into Terabithia, building up her self-esteem by turning her into a queen. Bridge to Terabithia is a sad, tragic, and beautiful story, and I highly recommend that you read it if you haven't. One of the things I love about this story is the way that Jess's world was disrupted, turned upside down by this, young, by this girl, Leslie, in a way that pushed him to become someone new, someone more confident, more secure, and more concerned about the well-being of people around him. The scripture passage that Julie read for us this morning is also a story of disrupting the status quo and the effects of that disruption on Jesus' followers. It's a story that can help guide us as we continue to grow as a congregation today at the beginning of 2024 and to share God's limitless love with others. The story we heard today appears early in Mark's Gospel. The Gospel of Mark begins with the appearance of John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, and the Spirit driving Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. <clears throat> After John's arrest, Jesus reappeared, telling everybody that the kingdom of God was near and to repent and believe in the good news. Jesus called Simon and Andrew, and then James and John, to follow him and be his disciples. And they left their fishing boats and immediately followed Jesus. They traveled to the village of Capernaum on the north, age, north edge of Lake Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum became their base of activity during Jesus' ministry in Galilee. The story we read this morning was Jesus' first act of public ministry in Mark's Gospel, immediately after calling the disciples. It's perhaps not surprising that his ministry began in the synagogue, after all, Jesus was a Jewish man raised by Jewish parents. Even though the, gospel, or the Gospels don't tell us much about Jesus' early life, 
It's not hard to imagine that his parents took him to the synagogue regularly and told him stories of the faith as he was growing up and probably followed Jewish laws related to diet and cleanliness and other aspects of day-to-day living. Going to the synagogue was a regular part of Jesus' life. And yet this trip to the synagogue was not like others. On this trip, Jesus got up and began teaching from the scriptures. The fact that he did this was not that surprising. Many Jewish men taught from the scriptures in the synagogue. But the people who heard him were amazed at what he said. He had no formal religious education, did not have the luxury of spending his life studying the scriptures as the scribes did. And yet he spoke with a power and authority that was greater than that of the Jewish leaders. The people in the synagogue listened with surprise and amazement because they did not yet understand who Jesus was. By speaking with authority, Jesus challenged the usual ways of doing things in the synagogue. And then something even more disruptive happened right in the middle of the worship service on that Sabbath day. Imagine what you would think if this happened today at Lawrenceville First Christian Church. How would you you react if someone entered the sanctuary this morning yelling and making wild accusations about the ministers and disrupting the worship service? That's basically what happened in the synagogue. A man possessed by an unclean spirit entered and began yelling, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I can imagine the eyes of the people gathered for worship got pretty wide as they all watched to see how Jesus would react. And Jesus, in a loud voice, ordered the unclean spirit to be quiet and leave the man's body. The spirit left, but not quietly. It threw the man into convulsions and cried out in a loud voice. Not exactly an ordinary day in the synagogue, to be sure. The idea of being possessed by an unclean spirit may sound strange to us, but it was a common occurrence in Jesus' time. Unclean spirits were believed to be demons or alien forces or perhaps the spirits of people who were dead but had not been laid to rest properly. Their purpose was to cause mayhem, to take over the person's body and mind, causing them to act in strange and erratic ways. Being possessed by an unclean spirit was usually involuntary and was treated through prayers for deliverance, blessing or cleansing the person's home, and exorcism of the demon. It's not all all that surprising that the man entered the synagogue when possessed by an unclean spirit. But there are two things that are surprising. First, the unclean spirit, not the people gathered to worship, was the one who recognized Jesus as the Holy One of God. And the second was that Jesus was the one who had the power and authority to order the spirit to leave the man's body. This story of exorcism is the first of three healing stories at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus also cured Simon's mother-in-law of a fever, cast out demons and unclean spirits, and healed a man with leprosy, all in the opening days of his ministry. Not surprisingly, people began to talk about this carpenter from Nazareth and his power to heal people. And Jesus quickly became famous among the people of Galilee, so much so that by the end of the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, 
Jesus could no longer go into towns freely for fear of being mobbed by crowds. Instead, he and his disciples likely stayed in the country and people flocked to him for healing. At its most basic, the story of Jesus' first teaching and healing is a story of disrupting the status quo. Jesus began his ministry in the sacred space of the synagogue, and yet he challenged the way things were usually done there by teaching with authority and by expelling an unclean spirit right there in the middle of worship. It's not hard to imagine the scribes weren't too thrilled by this. After all, it was their synagogue to lead, and they'd been doing things in a way that felt familiar and comfortable for a long time. I'm sure some of them grumbled about how we've always done it that way, as they tried to pick up the pieces after Jesus left. We certainly know from the rest of Mark's gospel that the scribes were often opponents of Jesus as he traveled around preaching and healing, and that scribes eventually participated in the plot to have Jesus arrested and killed. Disrupting the status quo can be risky, but also incredibly rewarding. Imagine how the family of the man felt when he returned home, no longer possessed by an unclean spirit. They must have celebrated this miraculous healing, perhaps running up and down the street, knocking on doors to tell everyone what this Jesus had done for their family. And as Jesus traveled around teaching and healing, more and more people felt that same relief and excitement, and more and more people spread the good news of God's love working in their lives through this Jesus. Sharing that good news is also a part of our mission from God. And spreading the good news sometimes requires us to disrupt the status quo. So what is our status quo here at Lawrenceville First Christian Church at the beginning of 2024? We are a congregation that has been in and is still in a period of transition with new ministers and new leaders and changes to our order of worship and new outreach opportunities and so much more. All that change and uncertainty can sometimes make us feel anxious and push us to seek out comfort. Where do we feel comfortable as a congregation? What patterns have we established to help ourselves find comfort? And are there places where we might feel a little too comfortable and need to be shaken up a little? What disruptions make us most anxious or fearful? Are we concerned about losing members, either through death or choosing to go other places? Are we more worried about bringing in new people and the changes they might bring with them? What would we do if the disruptions we feared most suddenly showed up in our church? Would we hunker down and try to find a way to get rid of them because of the risks they bring? Or would we take a deep breath, embrace the disruptions, and find ways to appreciate the positive things that come with change? It's sometimes been said that the job of religion and journalism is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. The first part is easy. Should a church be a place of comfort, a place where people feel warm and safe and deeply accepted and embraced for who they are, for the people God created them to be? Absolutely. It's the second part of that saying that's more challenging. Unfortunately, many churches work so hard to build a place of comfort 
that they never take risks, never talk about challenging issues, never reach out to people they don't know or understand, never question what they've always been taught. And that's where we need to be bold and disrupt the status quo by practicing radical hospitality, by breaking down barriers that keep people apart, by sharing the good news, by healing the sick and feeding the hungry, and embracing those others treat as outcasts, just as Jesus did. The Presby Presbyterian Church USA has begun a project called the Matthew 25 Project, an effort to visibly welcome people and work for justice in local communities. The project is based on the well-known story of separating the sheep from the goats in the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Here's how the PCUSA describes the Matthew 25 project. When we welcome others, we welcome Christ. When we bring together people who are divided, we are doing God's reconciling work. We are called to serve Jesus by contributing to the well-being of the most vulnerable in all societies, rural and urban, small and large, young and not so young. Make no mistake, Jesus is calling us to perform ordinary acts of compassion in daily life. In so doing, we continue Christ's work of proclaiming release to captives and good news to the poor, the good news of God's righteousness, justice, and peace for all. We can follow the example of our Presbyterian neighbors and create our own efforts for justice and peace. Where do we see people suffering? Where do we see injustice in the world? Unfortunately, injustice shows up even in many congregations. In my campus ministry work this year, I've heard too many stories from college students about church trauma, mostly involving churches who publicly insulted them or kicked them out or asked their families to leave the church because of who they are or the people they love. These stories are heartbreaking because they separate individuals from the love and acceptance and affirmation that they are beloved children of the God who created them, just as they are. As people of God who know deep in our hearts that God loves everyone just as they are, we are needed to speak out to make others see, to demonstrate God's limitless love to people who are marginalized because of who they are or where they live or work or the people they call family. How can we be part of the solution rather than part of the problem? Jesus walked into the synagogue and disrupted the world with his teaching and healing. God calls us, too, to disrupt the world to remove barriers, to challenge biases, and to make it a place where everyone is loved and accepted and fed and clothed and housed. The solutions aren't easy, but that's exactly why God needs us. God trusts us to care for God's kingdom. And creating a more loving world where everyone feels God's love can begin with the smallest steps. Invite somebody to church. Greet somebody you don't really know. Call or text or send a card. Invite somebody to lunch. Share stories with somebody who's had different life experiences than you have. When you walk out these doors today, what are the first steps you will take 
to disrupt the status quo in our hurting world and to share God's limitless love with those who need it most. Amen.